Uh, Isaiah 49, a good place to start. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From birth, he made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you're my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. Listen to this, this is where I want to go. But I said, I have labored for no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Cheerful, isn't it? <laughs> I want to talk about delays today. All this energy and I've got no further. Anybody ever feel like that? Yeah. All this trust and what has it done? We had a little uh, prophetic word come out in, in the, the prayer meeting before uh, as the, the team were preparing for today. And, and one person really felt that there's someone here and you're really feeling it's kind of, I'm giving church and God a last chance. And maybe even that you're giving life a last chance. God's got a word for you today. Thank you. The one. God understands what we're going through. He understands our brokenness. And he understands the frustration of delay. And that's what this is. God, I've tried to live for you. I've tried to seek you. And yet I'm still caught in this place of delay. Does anybody ever feel like that? Is it just me? Oh, good. Oh, phew. I thought I'd just be preaching to myself for a minute. What do we do with delay? And, and so I just want to talk for a few moments on that, and then we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. I believe there's going to be a fresh oil of grace for you today to endure. Endurance is so vital. Perseverance is so vital, isn't it? Um, uh, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Think about it, right? That's a Spurgeon saying. It's a good one, isn't it? You know, I mean, as the deers pranced by into the ark, and there's the snail... You know what I mean? Just come on, come on, come on. Don't close that door before I get there. And if you feel like the snail in the room, God's got you. Amen. Somehow snails made it through. They probably got on the back of something a bit faster, if I'm honest. And they're, 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 there's a trick. Um, so today what I want to do, if you could bring up the PowerPoint for me, Sam. I'm going to uh, talk from a chapter of my latest book. It's called The Leadership Quest. But it's not so much a leadership talk uh, this session. I, I want to talk about enduring tough seasons and enduring difficult delays. Because we, we all have to. And it, uh, unless we endure them well, delay can be a point of real pain. If we don't understand why delays happen to everyone, we will fight God, we will blame each other, we'll blame the boss at work, we'll blame the husband or the wife, but tell the person next to you, delay is a part of life. Go on, tell them, tell them. Yeah. Yeah, okay, and then you can turn around and say back to them, oh, shut up. Go on, go on, tell them. Oh, shut up. I don't want to hear all that positive stuff. Right, it's all right for you. You know, when a 21-year-old says, I'm feeling like life is delayed, I'm like, 20, you're only 21? What do you know about delay? <laughs> and the truth is, you know, uh, this life that we're in, I think we will realize about a million years from now, this really was just the introduction. It was the forward. It was the preface to, to something incredible. Uh, but we obsess about so much happening in the, let's just call it, 80 years that we're around but actually some of us are dreaming for generations and some of us are dreaming for eternity. A lot more is going on than we understand. And we, we want to microwave it 
stick the popcorn of our dreams and our purpose in a microwave oven, press 30 seconds and hope that it's done. Who knows, life isn't really like that. And, and of course, uh, we, we live in the west of the world and the, the idea is that you can have it all when you want it. Okay, divine kingdom truth. No, you can't. And so I think if we looked at each other and got real from it, well, yes, you can if you want to be up to your eyeballs in debt and then ultimately sorrow and depression because of the debt. Yes, you could probably have something like it all. But the sooner we realize that God is our provider, not just in things, but in timings and in hopes and in dreams and in families and in, in, in the, the real messy purposes of life, God is going to look after us. Amen. Now, delay can be a real point of pain. I remember uh, Vicky and I and Zach were coming back from South Africa. I think it was last October. I will tell some train and plane stories in my talk this morning. And, and so the train got delayed coming up from King's Cross up to Doncaster. And so we arrived at Doncaster late. And in my sheer determination, we'd flown all the way from Cape Town, so now I, I was in sheer determination that I would not miss this one connection in Doncaster. Whatever happened, I'd been on a plane 15 hours or whatever, uh, you know, I was not gonna wait another hour for the next train to Hull. I was going to get on that train, even though I was that end of Doncaster Station. We had heavy bags from two weeks away in South Africa, and our train was leaving in two minutes from that end of Doncaster Station. Has anybody ever been there? Do you know Doncaster Station? Right, yeah, yeah you go down steps and up steps, and down steps and up steps, and down, which is fine when you're on on your own feeling nimble, but with two huge bags, which God bless my family, they gave them both to me. No, in fear, uh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> All right, the truth is I said, look, you take the handbags, I'll get the big bags, because if I don't do it, oh, we're not gonna get there, right? So this is it. We're leaping off our late train because it's delayed. We're leaping off the train, down the steps, up the steps, down the steps, up the steps. And it's that unusual platform just off to one side on this occasion. So then you have to go across platform one, I think it is, up some more steps, into a lift, and down another one. And then there's people walking really slow. <laughs> I mean, do you know what I mean? People with guide dogs and all that nonsense. Do you know what I mean? That you can't, Come on, I'm a Christian, get out the way, right? <laughs> Honestly, we made it. I was grey for about three days afterwards. I turned delay into an absolute few days of pain and actually looking at myself going, do you need to see the doctor? Because I was so determined that I would not be delayed. Uh, then there's other ways to face delay. Um, we, in January, we were in, in Dan McCollum's church in California. And so we were flying. I don't know why it took so long, but we flew to Atlanta. Uh, a travel tip, never fly via Atlanta ever. Can anybody in the room agree if you happen to have done that? Good heavens. Horrendous. So we get to Atlanta, and we miss our flight. Uh, uh, we miss the connection. So then they go, okay, it's okay, you've got standby tickets. So it's about seven in the evening. I'm going, okay, what does a standby ticket mean to you? Because I'm in a different culture, I want to know what it means. Well, it means you might get on the nine o'clock, mm-hmm, then what else does it mean? And you might get on the 11 o'clock, right. So when can you guarantee that I'll get on? Well, nine o'clock in the morning. So like, okay, well, forget that. 
We're checking out the airport. Who needs luggage anyway? Uh, we're going to go in a hotel, we're going to have a nice meal, and we'll come back for the nine o'clock in the morning flight. And suddenly, a delay became a rest. You know, how we approach our delays, are we going to mad dash? I am determined. I refuse to be delayed. I'm the master of my own destiny. <laughs> or am I going to go, you know what? When God brings the rest times along, I'm going to accept them. And we can choose whether we're going to strive our way through life or truly believe that he's a good, good father. And every time you are delayed, whether it's with your health or finances or hopes or dreams or husband or wife or whatever it is, we all face delays all the time. When I don't know about you, God just doesn't turn up on my time. And I have a choice. It's, a, it's an issue of faith. Is he really a good, good father? Yeah. And that's always a question uh, that we face. There's three kinds of delays. Oh, there it is. Okay, and chewing. Here we go. There's three kinds of delays. Let's see if it'll work. Where do I point it? Is it plugged in? You can just do it, Sam. I do. Oh, beautiful. That'll do. I'm not sure if that's plugged in or the batteries are dead. Thanks, mate. Um, here's the first one, and here's what we need to understand. There are divine delays. Not every delay is the enemy. Uh, go back one. Not every delay is the enemy or anything like that. God is really into, catch this, you're going to love it. For, no, you, you go back another one. You're going the wrong way. That's it. Who's doing it? Is it? Cool, that's it. That's the one. <laughs> no, no, you know all my secrets now. You know where I'm going. Anyway, um, God delays and God sets for God frustrates us because he's more interested in dealing with our pride than in dealing with the profile and the platform and the potential that we want. Uh, pride really is a big issue for God. And so he's really working on our character more than our hopes and dreams, because actually he's more interested in who we're becoming than in what we're doing. And so sometimes when there is delay, we've got to recognize you might think you're ready, but God in heaven is going, I really don't think you're ready, right? God frustrated Adam and Eve by letting them eat from every tree except that nice juicy one in the middle of the garden. God frustrated Cain by viewing Abel's sacrifice with more favor than his. God frustrated Abraham by taking an incredibly long time to fulfill the promise of an heir. God frustrated Joseph by allowing him to go through rejection, slavery, and imprisonment. God frustrated Moses by not allowing him into the promised land. God frustrated Gideon by telling him to send most of his troops away. God frustrated David by not allowing him to build the temple he longed to. God frustrated Jonah by making him look with grace on people he personally disliked. God even frustrated Jesus by not allowing him to start ministry at age 12, even though he longed to be, as it says, about his father's business. One of the names of God that isn't in the Bible could be the great frustrator. <laughs> Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the will of the Lord that prevails. God will frustrate you, and the sooner you grasp it, the easier life becomes. Because then you can go, okay, book me a hotel. <laughs> I'm not just going to sit around in pain. I refuse to try and run to my next stop to force this thing to happen. If God's got something to say to me and do in me, then I'm going to pause and listen to what he's trying to say. There are divine delays in our life. Can you do the next slide for me, Sam? This is, this is uh, uh, Jesus, there it is, 
You probably can't read it. I can, so I'll read it to you. Listen to Jesus teaching. Luke 14, 8 to 11. It says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, this is a tough one, isn't it? Give this person your seat. Then, my favorite word in the Bible, humiliated. You will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes by, he will say, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. I wish I could stress the value of the commodity called humility. God places so much on it, he will delay you sometimes for decades until it happens. Because humility is prized in heaven. Our own savior was one who emptied himself of all of his kingly majesty and came to earth and lived an incredibly humble life. And that's actually what caused him to be exalted to the highest place. Catch that. If I can express humility, I've got a feeling sometimes it's even through gritted teeth. If I can express humility, if I can conjure up and develop, well, bad word in church, isn't it? Okay, if I can develop humility in my heart, God finds it so attractive. Favor finds it so attractive. And so often the biggest delays in our life are around humility. In other words, just take the lower road because it always leads to the highest road. Never presume on the highest road. Give me this time. Give me this platform. Give me this promotion. Give me this pay rise. You should be using me more. Why is no one recognizing me? These are all the signs of someone who hasn't caught the divine delay going on in their lives. Why? Because God is trying to work humility into us. When humility happens, it's like a gateway from heaven opens up. But in our Christian bolshiness, sometimes we can lose the beauty of humility. So there's divine frustrations. What have I written there? Oh yeah, I've done that bit. And then number two, do the next one, uh, Sam. There you go. That's the power of the finger. Incredible. <coughs> then the second one, you're going to go through times of war. So some things are divine and then some things really are the enemy. Listen to this. Enemy attacks feel like, and it's the best I can describe it, but here's how to start thinking about, is this divine or is this the devil? Because you've you got to understand, if you're a Christian trying to live a Christian life and trying to bring the influence of the kingdom of God to the world in which you live, you have an enemy. And let me tell you what that often feels like. Feel like hopelessness, depression, Relational conflict, spiraling debts, misunderstanding, betrayal, people problems, personal failure, deep insecurities, the bombardment of shaming, accusations, condemnation, all sometimes accompanied by unusual levels of uh, emotional tension and unrest. We need to discern when something is the enemy coming against us. Just pop the next slide up for us, Sam, if you would. I think it's Ephesians, is it? I'm sure I put it up there. For our struggle. Everybody say struggle. Oh, you're supposed to be in a struggle. Let me redeem that word, right? It's not against flesh and blood. Sometimes relational conflict is the enemy getting in amongst your people group and causing strife. And one of the reasons, when I've been in this, have you ever been to uh, like an amusement park or a fairground and play? What do you call it when a little thing pops up, you whack it with a hammer, then another one pops up there? Whack-a-mole. 
Has anybody had whack-a-mole in their relationships? Oh my Lord, I deal with it there, and then it comes up there, and then it's over there. It's called a demon plonker, right? Somebody's messing with your people group. Somebody's messing with your workplace. Somebody's messing with your relationships for your future, and you're going whack, 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 whack. For heaven's sake, why won't this thing stop or go away? Have you ever had that relational tension going on around you? It's time to begin to pray as if it's an attack. Depression, sleeplessness. Of course, it can be something medical. It can be something natural, but it can be the enemy. And as Christians, we need to be discerning. Sometimes it is the enemy, right? What, what do we do in times like that? Well, we, we praise and worship. We, 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 we stay in the word of God because everything within you is like, oh, I can't be bothered, right? We, it, here's another one. We, can I even use this phrase? We love violently. See, if the enemy is coming against you through relationships to bring bitterness and unforgiveness and hurt and lies and gossip and all these things, our greatest weapon is to go, I refuse to be offended. It's not possible to offend me. I love it when someone tells me that. I'm like, right, I'll try. Let's see. It's impossible. But wouldn't it be incredible to be unoffendable? I mean, you are just about immune to every enemy attack if you decide to be unoffendable. God won't offend me, you won't offend me. It's very hard to unsettle someone like that. But if you're easily offended, you give a door to the enemy. You give a door to anger and bitterness and okay? But someone who's able to go, I forgive you, I forgive you. And let's be honest, it starts through gritted teeth, right? But then you keep going and slow the jaw relaxes. I forgive you. I forget why. uh, You start with this, I'm forgiving them just because if I don't forgive, I won't get my forgiveness. That's what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible actually teaches that your, the, the, the penalty of your sin is reimposed on you. Yeah. Jesus told that in a parable. He, he forgave someone. They wouldn't forgive someone else. So then the, 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 the king picks them up, sticks them back in jail and reinstates their punishment. So in other words, there are good, terrifying reasons to forgive. <laughs> I forgive, otherwise I step out of the place of God's grace and forgiveness. So therefore, for my own darn health, I refuse to let you get into my head. I'm going to forgive. And so we, we love aggressively and go, right, I am going to refuse to be offended by this. I'm not going to allow myself to be abused. That's a different thing. But I refuse to be offended by this. There definitely is a time to let some relationships go. Speak the Bible. Dwell on the prophecies. But here's another one. Don't be overly focused on the battle. If you really want to irritate the enemy, keep smiling. When inside you're going, oh God, what's going on? Look in the mirror and go, isn't Jesus wonderful? Because the devil gets totally confused. Once Wesley, John Wesley, was lying in bed, he'd fallen asleep, and he felt the presence of evil come into his room. And he woke up and he looked over and he saw the devil sat at the end of his bed. And he said, oh, it's only you. Turned over and went back to sleep. (laughs) We can actually give these attacks from the enemy too much leeway in our lives when actually what we probably need to do is focus on God and worship 
and create the atmosphere of peace. Peace is so much more than a state of mind. It's a person. So if I have Jesus in my life, I have the Prince of Peace in my life. And suddenly, there might be war out there, but I am in a bubble called the Lord is my shepherd. He feeds me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runs over. He anoints my head with oil. I am in a bubble of his presence. That's what it means when it talks about him being a fortress and a castle and somewhere to run to and hide in. You can hide in the midst of storms simply by taking your eyes off the waves. Think of other parables, other stories, right? Peter looked at the waves, he started to sink while he was looking at Jesus. Something supernatural held him up. Get your eyes on Jesus. I've told you the story before of, of being, uh, I, I had a, a, a leg injury in Turkey and I, I, I really did not want to go to a Turkish hospital. For whatever reason, we won't go into it, but I didn't want to spend any time in a Turkish hospital. So here I was on holiday in this hotel, and I was, I was, I was trying to pray it away, so I was binding the enemy. I was ooh, releasing healing, uh, binding the strong man, loosening the weak man, anything. Do you know what I mean? You give it all a go. Do everything you can. And for four days, nothing. But then on day five, for whatever reason, I woke up that morning, and I just began to not be obsessed about it. And something in my heart started to worship. Jesus, I love you. Ah, oh, Jesus, I adore you. And we were in this nice resort, you know, all you can eat. Yeah. And uh, I remember on this particular day, the chicken schnitzels were good. Anybody like a good chicken schnitzel? And so this, this, what was there, like 300 people in this dining room? It was a massive dining room in this big Turkish resort. And I remember I'd just been in my heart worshipping Jesus and not obsessing about what was wrong with me. And as I walked, I just had a chicken schnitzel and I thought, I need another chicken schnitzel. <laughs> I just feel, you know, there's more feasting and fasting in the Bible. I'm just going to. So I'm, I remember walking across the dining room to go and get me another chicken schnitzel worshiping Jesus as I went and I got halfway across that dining room and the Holy Spirit fell on me and God healed me on the way to a chicken schnitzel. <laughs> Why? Because I'd stopped fighting the thing and got my eyes on the one. The I am that I am, the I will be what I will be, the I am everything that you need. And so actually whatever the question is, I am is the answer. Get your eyes on him. What do you do when you're frustrating delays a time of war? Get your eyes on God and not on the battle. Get them on him because he'll sustain you and keep you going. You could well be in a fight. Yeah, pray through your house, sing through your house, put on praise and worship, worship God, speak the Bible, speak the prophecies, but focus on him. Let him fight your battles. Amen. And he'll do it for you. And then the last one in here. There's a third thing. Let's see if it'll come up, Sam. Let's do it. Is it there? There you go. Divine delays, times of war, times of brokenness. Uh, there are times when we go through brokenness because of the world that we live in, because of stuff that is done to us or stuff that we do, let's be honest, in our own stupidity. Uh, and so we go through brokenness in life. Anybody know what I mean? Um, and again, it brings with it a sense of delay. And you might be broken here today, but I want to remind you, God is really good at dealing with broken people. People that are really at the end of it. You know, I know it's a bit corny, but when you reach rock bottom, you really have a rock to start building on. 
You know, all I've got left is God, and God's going, finally. And you know, a lot of it doesn't mean that God brings these things into our lives. I've been, I've been reading some good kind of um, uh, mystical theology lately, which is really interesting. You've got to really know your Bible so you know which bits to spit out. So kind of ancient mystic stuff and even some good Catholic theology. And uh, I just find it really interesting to read different uh, interpretations and stuff and let it stretch you. And very common amongst ancient Christian, so Christian mystics now, and all that means is that they, they believe very much, so essentially we would call them prophetic people, because they believe very much in the experiential, not just the principal type of Christianity. So it's not as weird as it sounds. But very common in ancient mystical writings is this thought, that actually we are all going through stages of development in life. Nothing unusual about that, right? And they, they talk about the common stages, and I'm not going to really go through them other than we start off really pretty selfish and self-obsessed and end up completely God-obsessed. Uh, and, and it takes you through all the stages of what you go through. And as I'm reading the books, I'm going, yeah, now where am I? I'm that stage. Then I get two stages on. I go, no, I'm that stage. Then I go, oh, no, I'm back at that stage. And you, know, and you look at it. But here's the interesting part. All of the writers agree with this. That, and, and some would say there are seven stages. Some would say there are nine or ten. There's, you, know, you get these rough approximations of what it is to grow in God. And every one of us in this room is on a process of growing in God. But the common theme with every single one of these is what takes you from one level to the next is nearly always a season of some kind of brokenness. A coming to the end of yourself, a realizing you can't make it happen, an awareness suddenly of your own immorality or brokenness or bankruptcy before God, your need of his grace, the fact that you can't even pray very well yourself. And as you, rather than pretend, which is perhaps where a lot of Christians live, when you actually come to the realization and the admittance of who you really are and enter into some brokenness, or when something in life, not sent by God, but it happens, and it brings an effect and a change in you that leads you to a new stage in God, because God will waste nothing. That, that abuse, God did not send, but he will not waste. And if you walk with him, every season of brokenness leads you to the next level of your growth in God, in where there is rest and blessing and development in him. The common denominator in life is every one of us are going to go through brokenness and delay. And how we recognize it and deal with it is going to define our lives. So in a room like this, I guess there's going to be 10 or 20 people that actually today you feel kinder at one level or another broken. Well, shall I start by saying, I, I think I'm pretty sure unless there's some very young people in this room not yet affected by the real brokenness of the world, but everybody in this room that's lived a bit will go, well, we pretty well all know what brokenness feels like, whether we're watching it in a close friend or a family member or experiencing ourselves. That desperation of rock bottom, that desperation of, I don't know if I can do this. And sometimes it goes to very dark places. But, you know, there is no dark place where God won't go. Yeah, let me see if I've got the verse here somewhere. It's Isaiah 57, 15, if you're taking notes. For this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place. That's great, right? Like Isaiah 6, seated on the throne. But listen to this. But also with him who is broken and lowly in spirit. But then there's a why. Why does he live with the broken? To revive the spirit of the lowly. 
and to revive the heart of the contrite. I remember in one of my broken years, when you go, oh, I would not wish this year on anyone, I had more visions of Jesus in that year than any other time. It's almost like I would close my eyes in prayer and genuinely see the face of Jesus. I remember being in the kitchen of our last house uh, one day and Vicky showed me a portrait that somebody had done of Jesus and put it online somewhere. And she just went, oh, look at this, with her phone, not a book, you know. Look at this, isn't it lovely? And I, look, and I just burst into tears and I go, I've been looking at that face for the last six months. And it's like the truth is, if we can get our focus right, because it is difficult when we're in pain, so you have to work your way back to it. But you will find Jesus has never been closer to you than when you're broken. Even though your emotions and your intellect may be screaming for something better to happen, God goes to the lowly place and said, right, let me lead you through this. And what he does is, let me lead you to your next place of greatness and favor in me. I will hold your hand even when you're not holding mine because I'm a good, good father. So we'll go through delays like that. Let me just share with you really, really quickly a few things that happens in our delays. Number one, I want you to understand in your delays, God sees you. Hagar was um, Abraham and Sarah's, well, it was Sarah's handmaiden, an Egyptian. And she was used by Abraham and Sarah to try and have the child that Abraham and Sarah couldn't have. So again, they were struggling with divine delay. They were going, come on, so how can we make this thing happen? So, they, now, so Hagar ends up in this situation where she's used to have a child, but then she becomes an outcast because in one minute she's the solution to the problem, and then in the next minute she's the Egyptian girl that's managed to have the child of Abraham. I don't even know how old he was at this point, but anyway, Sarah didn't like it. Let's put it that way. So Hagar gets sent out. She's out in a desert with her son crying, and then she encounters God. And in that moment, in this moral maze and this utter brokenness, she gives God this incredible name. You are the God who sees me. Because sometimes you don't feel seen, right? Sometimes even by a husband or a wife, you don't feel understood. Even in your closest relationships. He is the, it's his name. This is the strong tower of his name that you can run to. He's the God who sees me. When you're sat in church and you're bored, you're just there for your mum, your dad, your husband, your wife, and you're bored. God sees you. And he's like, don't worry, I get bored in church too, says the Lord. (laughs) Because God doesn't deal with, he doesn't, he's not bothered about any other pretense. I see you. There are no cookie cutters in heaven. We're all supposed to like the same things. And so nowhere is everything going to work for everyone. Whether it's church or school or work or, but he sees individual you and he gets you that's our God right he sees you the second thing I want you to remember is that rest is not a second class use of time God wants you to rest in one of my broken seasons I remember God coming to me and you know when a a scripture leaps off the page and it was Titus 3 12 and it's just 
Paul writing some of his afterthoughts in Titus and he says, as soon as I send Artemis and Tychicus, I think it is, to you, do your best to come to me at Nic- Nicopolis. Good, good words. <laughs> Nicopolis. Turn to the person next to you, say Nicopolis. Go on, you can do it. Nicopolis, it's a pizzeria on Beverly Road. You've been there, you know? <laughs> you want a Nicopolis with mushrooms? Anyway. I'm a bit tired, I didn't sleep last night, so I can feel myself getting very naughty now. And Paul says this, he says, uh, uh, he says because I've decided to winter there, he's wintering in the pizzeria, he's wintering in Nicopolis, basically. And, and of course, he's talking about the adverse weather conditions. That there was, these days, we travel anywhere whenever we want, but historically, you would have to travel when the weather was with you. And it's quite common if you, were, if you were sailing from one part to the other, you'd have to go, okay, I'm going to get that far, then I'm going to stay there for winter and wait. Uh, and we, we lose with our push-button reality of modern life the fact that actually God is really into waiting and he's really into Sabbath. And actually, literally to not celebrate the Sabbath was a, a punishable by death offense. It was, a, it was a major thing to, to be so idolatrous of our own strengths to go, no, I just keep going. Oh, no, you don't, dude. You know, uh, it's good to know when to winter. And I remember, so God gave me that scripture, and you might not even know this, Darren, but once over in Bridav, you were leading a prayer meeting before the meeting, I think it was, and God was that day talking to me about this. And I think you were leading the prayer meeting and just through the prayer meeting, I don't even know why, because as usual, my head was somewhere else, but I just heard you all prayer meeting keep saying the word winter, winter, and I, winter. And I'm like, all right, God, because I knew God was saying to me, take a different posture, stop pushing, pause. Yeah, yeah, still work and do the stuff, but actually I want you to come to a, a less pressured posture in life because you need to pause and recalibrate. You need to press the reset button. And for a year, God spoke to me about winter and he just said, pause. And we've got to realize that pausing is a real powerful thing in life. And let's be honest, some of us are so driven and we are, we are doers by nature that we, we, we're so into doing that we don't hear the pause message. And I've tried to humble my heart to get to the place where God, when you say, slow down, Cooper, I'm in charge, not you. That when he says, pause, I'll pause. The third thing I want you to realize is God, God is able to do stuff, right? He, he is able to do things. Um, I, I, I might have wanted to rush being married, but I, I didn't meet Vicky until I was about 32. Was I 32 or 30? Um, 30. When I was 32. And if you don't know the story, Vicky used to work for, for Steve Upple. And Steve Upple, years ago, I hadn't met him at the time, but he invited me to his church to speak. And, and Vicky was his PA, so she was the one that wrote the letter and the confirmation details. And this letter comes through. So I wake up on a certain day not knowing that something supernatural is about to happen that day. You never know when your suddenlies are coming, but you have to trust your father because he is not just a, a theoretical principle God. He's a doer. He will do things and open doors for you and bring a change. And you don't know when a suddenly is about to come. But the day I opened that letter and I read the details, dear Jared, blah, 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 turn up here, here's what it'll be like yours sincerely Victoria Mansell and as I read the bottom of the line God said to me that's your wife and I was like okay but I don't know she's a 92 year old <laughs> married well, I, you know I mean I, 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 I hope she's hot because all I've got is this letter 
And then three months later, I walk into the church like preachers do, turning up early while the band are rehearsing. And I walk in, and there's the band on the stage, and there's this girl at the end playing the violin. And in my spirit, I immediately know that'll be her. And it was, and we married two years later. Um, We've got to trust, you know what? You're not doing life. There's no self-made men or women. We're not even really dreaming our own dreams. I, I think I've just caught a little smidgen of his dream, and he's letting me join in. And I trust that he will do it. I remember in the late 80s having prophetic word after prophetic word about being in the media, but I could do nothing about that. And then probably uh, 10 to 15 years later, I got this phone call from this person I don't really know, and this person didn't really know me. And he was uh, a broadcaster with UCB, one of the, uh, one of the DJs at, at UCB. And he was about to retire, and he was having a quiet time. And uh, he was coming up to his retirement period. And God just said to him this phrase, before you retire, I want you to get Jared Cooper on UCB. Didn't even know who I was. I didn't know who he was. So then he rings up. We end up meeting. He tells me this story. And he said, so can you make a radio program? And I'm like, well, I, don't, I don't know. Tell me what to do. And uh, well, so, so they gave us every midnight to begin with. And I was thinking, who on earth is going to listen at midnight? But apparently, I'm really good for insomniacs. <laughs> right? They, they sleep really well when I start to talk, apparently. So apparently, loads of people were listening at midnight. And then slowly, midnight turns into, we end up being 25, 30 shows a week. Ended up being the most responded to program made in Britain by UCB. Um, I could do nothing. I couldn't force open a door. I couldn't insist, well, God's promised, therefore I need this platform. No, when God says it, it doesn't mean we strive, push, we take the lowest seat in the banquet and we go, okay, if it's God, he's a doer. He's a doer. He will open the door. I'm not forcing my way. Even now, I have great opportunity to go and speak on all kinds of lovely platforms, but I would not dream once of going, you you need me on your platform. (laughs) Who am I? I'm a doofus without Jesus, right? You know, we, we humbly trust God with our dreams. He will open the doors into the medicine world, the education world, the media world, the arts world, the family world, the governmental world. He is the divine door opener for you. Trust him. Amen? Trust him. So with all these divine delays, let's try and land this thing, shall we? I've taken longer than I thought. Has it been all right? All right, good. Okay. Um, well, just finally, what to do when you're in a divine delay? Well, number one, stop sulking. Because, you know, it's a miserable life, isn't it? I wish I was. No, truly enjoy today and grasp the process. Read the word. Stay in fellowship. Uh, You know that there's, there's a sacramental grace that happens when we gather? You make me strong. And you go, by doing what? Just by being in the room. Because you've got oil on you. And I feel it when I walk in this room. Something happens when we're together that cannot happen down a TV screen or on a podcast. Something happens when we're sat next to each other. And it's just some, it, might, it might be a word of care that comes, or it might be just a little bit of a jovial conversation that actually means the world to your heart. But I think it's even more spiritual than that, where two or three are gathered in his name. Something happens that he is present in a different way than when I gather on my own. Stay in fellowship, because the temptation in delay is to begin to hide. It's not working. Listen, all of us have got things we're delayed over. Right. Pray. Dwell on the prophecies. And I'll finish with this one. The Holy Spirit is your traveling companion. At the end of, uh, 
I think it's 2 Corinthians 13. It talks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, which means he is your traveling companion. You're on a journey with God, the Holy Spirit. He's, he's got your hand and he's taking you through. Um, but here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. Uh, a little picture. Often large cities are built on big rivers. You know, you think of London and the Thames and Paris and the Seine. <laughs> Nearly all of the big cities are built on huge rivers. Jerusalem, Jerusalem isn't one of them. Its source of sustenance is not so obvious and neither is yours. There's not some big obvious river, my university education, my family. The, 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 the true source of life to us is not some big obvious river that you can point to, a certificate on a wall, something easy to find. No, Jerusalem is a city that has a secret spring that feeds it, the Gihon Spring. And it's an intermittent spring to make things even more interesting. So depending on the time of year, it'll sometimes flow once a day or up to five times a day. It's an intermittent spring. And they believe it's because there's a siphon action that actually draws the water into Jerusalem and makes it happen. And the water flows and the city is sustained. Um, you know, the Holy Spirit won't happen to you automatically. You have to draw on him and you have to drink of him and say, Holy Spirit, be my traveling companion today. And some days it'll be once a day is fine, but you're going to have some days when you go five times, five times, I'm back for the fifth time today. I'm feeling discouraged again. I was up at nine, down at half nine, up at 10, down at half 10, up at 11, down at half 10. And you keep coming back to the spring and saying, I will draw on the waters of salvation again until I get my heart encouraged in God. But it's our responsibility, spirit-filled people, to draw on God, to pull on God, and not just go, okay, Sarah, Sarah, I wonder what God's going to do. No, the Bible's really clear. Jesus is really clear. If you ask for the Holy Spirit, he loves to give the Holy Spirit. He's here this morning.